When it comes to your organization, what are practical ways to use the metaverse? Why not practice first in the metaverse where it's low cost, you can do things in an infinite way, you can make the impossible happen, right? I can have a whole helicopter in my apartment to play with, those types of things. And that really brings back people getting their jobs done, a certain amount of just efficiency and productivity. That's Richard Ward, a McKinsey senior expert who joins me today. This is the last of a three-part series on the metaverse. I'm Mina Alagband. Welcome to At The Edge, a production of McKinsey's Technology Council. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. So Richard, we've heard a lot about this 10-year aspiration for the metaverse to be a place where we all reside, we have our identities, and there is a secondary economy that some say will be even bigger than the real-world economy. But as business leaders, I imagine a lot of the listeners are going to be asking themselves the question, what does this look like today and what does this look like over the next few years? Could you start by helping our listeners understand some of the near-term use cases that you're seeing in the market? Absolutely. The things that you can do today that are really quite interesting is that over on the VR end of the spectrum, you're finding that a lot of heavy industries and the United States military as well have discovered that uh, when you need to teach people a new vocational skill, like how to repair a piece of equipment, like a truck or a helicopter, one of the really long parts of that educational process is, is people learning where all the parts are. They've kind of decided to go VR or metaverse first, in which when a new recruit shows up, it used to take 18, that's one, eight weeks to train someone straight from getting off the bus to before they were certified to work on one of these helicopters. What they do now is that uh, the new recruit shows up and they hand them a pair of VR goggles. And inside that pair of VR goggles is their own private helicopter. And so they then spend several weeks doing all sorts of very intensive quizzes and simulations about where is the air filter and what order do you put these wires in and all of that sort of thing. And one of the fascinating things that have come out of that is that they've been able to take that training course and shorten it from 18 weeks down to 10 weeks. And so this provides this kind of this real world example of, of if you need to do something, which is very kind of like manual or requires you to move around a lot, which that's one of the key elements of the metaverse is that you can move around, you can walk places, you can see things, you can do things. And what we see is that that's a really concrete example of the fact that this technology is very powerful in terms of helping people learn things that are very sort of manual or tactile in the hand, you know, kind of like muscle memory and those types of things. Most of the world does that type of work. And to be able to make that more efficient and better and higher quality learning for people is a very exciting story. Can you give us an example in the financial services industry? What might an application of the metaverse look like today or in the near future there? The financial services area uh, is starting to bring all of their usual skills and capabilities into this new asset class, really. So first of all would be sort of valuation. There have now been loans that have been collateralized based on the agreed to value of these NFTs. Similarly, there was a, uh, a report recently about a firm issuing a mortgage for a virtual real estate deal in one of these digital, you know, kind of metaverse, proto-metaverse environments. I think it's really pretty much a collateralized loan, but still it's very exciting that these kind of concepts flow through. Now, the thing that adds it very interesting to this, which is both common and different, is that basically you have a lot of foreign exchange activity happening. 
So going between, let's say, U.S. dollars into Ethereum and then from Ethereum into another coin or into these kind of assets, which are somewhat semi-fungible and those things, uh, that should be very familiar to the financial services sector, that it's kind of basically forex trading and management of risk and these sorts of things when you add in all of that. We're still just in the very early days. I would defy anyone to truly be able to tell us all the things uh, that financial services will be able to do, let's say, five years from now in the metaverse. So if I'm sitting in the industrial sector... What kind of applications might I be seeing today? You know, am I really thinking about augmented reality? Am I thinking about uh, virtual reality? Can you give us an example that you've seen in the field? When you get out into the actual field, people are starting to use augmented reality. So whether you're looking through a smartphone or a tablet, or you have a set of fancy glasses with, with lenses in them for remote assistance. You start taking the data from all three of these things. So if you, for example, see, hey, what are the things that we're getting the most remote assistance calls on? And then you then flow that information into updating the training program. And then you use that and update it into the assessment program to see if people really did learn things. You could then finally get back to the uh, remote assistance part of it. And you would actually see the number of calls for a category of problem X goes down, which is kind of like direct efficiency things. The field workers, often there's kind of a stereotype that they're grumpy about Big Brother and those sorts of things. Uh, it turns out, yes, certainly nobody likes to think that anybody's looking over their shoulder. But one of the things they do like is they very much like the feel of gaining of mastery over problems. And they have this kind of feeling of job satisfaction of mastery of more and more complex problems. If you then move over into kind of like the, the kind of the, the office side of things, people kind of play, click keyboards and mice all day. It's very interesting what's happening there from a design standpoint. So designers of new products and services are actually designing them in kind of uh, metaverse type environments first to understand how they relate to the physical world. And one of the things that we've learned during COVID here is that if you put these metaverse design rooms up on the internet, your clients and other expert engineers can log in remotely. So if you will, kind of like almost a, an engineering Zoom in 3D on steroids capability. Uh, but the beauty of it is, is that people are be able, been able to do highly productive engineering design work without getting on an airplane. And, and you know that has a lot of rollover value for what we're doing long-term. And then one of the actual additional values of this is that you can take those same kind of engineering drawings and diagrams and capabilities that you've built in 3D and with a little bit of polish, they actually are now front and center in people's marketing campaigns and sales promotions, where they're able to bring a client uh, into, let's say, a new environment, show them how the equipment integrates with their own, uh, walk around it and take a good look at it. Can you talk a little bit about the scale of the real business opportunities available to executives within the next two years versus 10 years out from now? If you had a VR headset at home, I could take you on a tour and show you every single one of these things from from people that I've worked with or things that I'm aware of out in, in the world. Um, and I think that's the part where one could say uh, that while some concept, non, let's say, cultural goods type company, meaning you know, like in the entertainment industry or games or something like that, for those types of companies, very much uh, you can. there are uh, virtual reality metaverse use cases for you and your workers and your clients and your support people that are doing maintenance 
and if you run, for example, like a service organization, like let's say you run a fast food chain, the ability to teach people all of the processes and mechanisms of the line before they even get close to the, you know, to the dangerous equipment and those things, uh, it has very broad uses across, uh, you know, just across the board and things that you can literally do now. If you're an industrial player, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, these things that are more like NFTs and uh, cryptocurrencies and those things, I do think it's a little earlier days for those, uh, for the integration with like physical equipment and the delivery of, of kind of, you know, person delivered services and those types of things. But I fully expect that things like digital serial numbers will be uh, tied to an NFT type concept uh, on, you know, that is registered on a public blockchain and information is tied to that. I think that is something that you will see probably in the industrial space uh, in an early basis. And then once that's registered and you know that, you then can kind of like hang things off of it. So similar to VIN numbers for automobiles are publicly available. And thus you can have like, you know, accident reports or insurance quotations and those things based on access to the data. It would really surprise me if three years from now, Everything that costs more than $10,000 doesn't have a serial number on a blockchain. For executives who think about using the metaverse for training uh, and for assessment of talents and skills, what kind of outcomes, what kind of improvements have you seen and that, that executives can expect to see? BMW, their new all-electric vehicle uh, production line, they simulated it for six months. They had people build virtual fake cars on a one-to-one scale in the metaverse for six months before they actually did the final layout for the factory. And in the process of those six months, they made about 30% changes on what the original design was. They've not released how much more efficient it was. Uh, They consider that to be a trade secret, but they did sort of say that, hey, about 30% of the things that we thought were the world's best factory on day one, after six weeks of actually working with it day to day, we realized 30% of it needed to be done better. And, you know, and these are people that, that, that build new factories on a daily basis, you know, for their things. Why not practice first in the metaverse where it's low cost, you can do things in an infinite way, you can make the impossible happen, right? I can have a whole helicopter in my apartment to play with, those types of things. And that really brings back people getting their jobs done, a certain amount of just efficiency and productivity. Yeah, one of the, uh, one of the interesting anecdotes that I heard from an industrials company that is building actually sort of next generation renewable technologies is that the rate of innovation on their technologies is so fast that actually keeping their workforce up to speed is is creating this incredible level of complexity in their talent and their talent organization. And so what they found is actually having these AR goggles and instead of trying to constantly reskill their talent in, in the old style, actually embedding that programming, that education into the day-to-day of those technicians' work and workflow has actually really alleviated that burden, really helped them shift it. And, and sort of the full metaverse example of that would be that when you are at the office or at home, you would have a virtual version that you could practice with and learn from. And then when you actually go on site, your your augmented reality glasses or system would then overlay that digital information on the real thing and it would all be very familiar. Or if there was some major variation from what the digital model was telling you, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And so then people can address that immediately instead of not, you know, instead of encountering it or forgetting about it in some other way. So you have this kind of integration between the real world and the digital world in this metaverse concept. I think one of the earliest industries that seems to be affected by this is really retail and CPG 
uh, especially sort of seeing the advent of luxury goods and experiences in the metaverse. If these are kind of the early bellwether, you know, what can we learn from sort of the early inroads of these industries into the metaverse for the rest of uh, for the rest of the business execs? If we look for retailers and and you know and kind of like let's say uh, fashion people and those sorts of things, some of the lessons that come out of those societies and the things that they have done is that when people go into the metaverse, um, they certainly present themselves differently depending on the context. So if one if you know for example, I mean if you and I were doing this interview in the metaverse and it was being filmed and it was going to be pushed out to somebody, I would make sure that my avatar was sort of business appropriate and that my perhaps my you know my my visual features were mostly human. But if it's just me and let's say three of my friends and we're hanging out and we're going to watch the football game, which is being projected holographically onto a table, and then people in those situations where they are very comfortable socially, often diverge radically from human normal presentations. And so you have to kind of maybe rethink that concept for the right context. I'd love to talk a little bit about technology and access points into the metaverse, because a lot of the use cases and examples you've provided really involve a 3D rendering. And it seems to me that most of the experiences that are happening in the early metaverse today are rendered in 2D. It's really all in in virtual worlds and gaming platforms. How do you see that evolving over time? And how do you see that shaping the future of the metaverse and the experiences that we seek? I think we can all agree that if you're wearing a you know a pair of goggles that is stereoscopically correct and you're in a VR environment or something, that that's like a true 3D representation. But what we actually have is also this kind of uh, bridge capability, which we call 2.5D, which is where you kind of leverage all of this three-dimensional gaming technology. But you're seeing in things, for example, like IKEA furniture. Whenever you, uh, it used to be that it was always these static two-dimensional photographs of, you know, the table. But now most of the items that are available on the website, it's a three-dimensional model that if you scroll your mouse or swipe your finger left and right, it spins around or up and down. You can see it, you know, top to bottom. And if you then actually turn on the camera on your phone, you can actually place it inside of your living room and see, is it too big? Is it, do the colors really fit with the carpet? You know, those types of things. And so you have this ability to kind of transcend from the 2.5D into the real world and back, but even simple things like e-commerce sites. In fact, Pinterest just announced the other day that they now can do, they've added 80,000 SKUs into this kind of 2.5D ability within Pinterest, right? And um, and the technology for also bringing that to board as a consumer. What does that mean for Pinterest? Um, it it basically it's a it's a faster ramp to decision and, and purchase. So it's click to buy. So somebody is in love with this, you know, I don't know, Ames chair, and they put it in their Pinterest, and they've got the three D model because they think that's cooler than just the photograph. But there is a click to buy or a click through to buy capability on that because of who's provided the models. Is now the time for executives to make big investments in the metaverse? How do you go about as an executive not being behind the curve, not missing the moment, but also being realistic about where we are in the development cycle, in the demand cycle, and making sure that you don't sort of invest too soon in this new trend? If you say, look, are there no regrets moves that can be made today about the metaverse? The answer fundamentally is yes. 
the fact that I guarantee in every single one of your companies, there are people that draw for a living, whether that's graphic designers, marketing people, engineers, uh, product designers, process engineers, all of these people, they draw for a living. And I guarantee that most of the tools that they use are three-dimensional tools, which means you have the raw materials to start building out and presenting to partners, clients, you know, workers, these 2.5D metaverse capabilities of what you have, the discussions that you would like to have. And these things are long-lived assets. They will live, you will reuse them 20 years from now, right? And so I think that's really a no regrets move that allows people to start taking assets they already have, skill sets they already have, add a little bit of tech, add a little bit of technical capability, and you can start moving into this kind of 2.5D metaverse environment in a variety of ways for both uh, actual, you know, kind of like productivity capabilities of the organization. We've heard all sorts of numbers in terms of the size of the metaverse, anywhere from hundreds of millions to trillions of dollars in size. What does this mean? Can you help us contextualize the size of the metaverse and how that economy is going to develop over time? The thing that I can tell you is there's 8 billion of us on the planet. We all have 24 hours a day and we kind of sleep for, let's say, six of them. And then we have kind of this live, work, play splitting out of our time, migrating into the metaverse where people use it you know, part-time of, let's say, one out of eight hours of their work job is done in the metaverse, right? Or uh, that parts of thing, of shopping for things for, let's say, capital goods or white goods or apartments or things like that. Uh, and children from an education standpoint that, you know, that laboratories and things like that or field trips are now done in the metaverse versus in classroom teaching or remote or those types of things. You start to see that, you know, um, it's not hard to get to a story where, you know, easily 20% of, you know, certain human activities uh, are done in this metaverse context. And, and if you start looking at that and then looking at the, you know, the, the global economy and what all that is, you know, 20% of the global economy is a lot, right? It is, it is certainly trillions, you know, and those types of things. Uh, you do find in many of these numbers, people are sort of reclassifying certain categories, like the entire gaming category gets reclassified as metaverse. You know, there's 200 billion right there. And so I think if you go through all the construction that needs to be done, all the things that need to be built and programmed and all of that, uh, people extra, you know, paying money for unique forms of entertainment that is not possible without the metaverse. Uh, same thing for the exit. You know, I think, I think you very quickly do get to, to large numbers. I, I can't give you a specific number, but I do think that you're going to find people moving through this 2.5D ramp into the 3D, that gaming obviously is well on its way, and then closely followed by that will be the industrials uh, and others that have a physical delivery capability. So pro goods and services that must be physically delivered, I think, are prime candidates for going into the metaverse first uh, because they get a lot of direct productivity benefits in addition to trying to create these kind of new uh, product lines that would be purely digital. What are you most excited about when it comes to the metaverse? Uh, I am truly excited about uh, the ability for like what is after Zoom, if you will, for kind of like a remote work and play type environment. One of the great lessons for we've had from the pandemic, as horrible as it's been, is that things that people had said were impossible for decades, like you can't possibly have everybody not be in the office and, and it, it'll all fall over. It's been proven wrong. I think I, the, that's the part where I'm most excited, where uh, you will see a shift that hours that I currently spend doing certain 
entertainment or work or, or uh, education related things today, whether that's on my phone or on a laptop, will maybe get shifted into a full 3D metaverse type environment uh, and will be higher value to me as the consumer. I will enjoy them more and learn more. And what are you most worried about? What gives you pause? I think what gives me pause is um, two elements of it, one of which is certainly concentration of power. You know, if any, in any sort of networking situation, if, if one, you know, if one party uh, has all of the control over everything, you know, we, we tend to know that that doesn't always work out. And so at the moment, there are parts of the metaverse supply chain in which the suppliers are kind of too concentrated. I think the other thing that I do worry about is that actually many of these technologies record and gather an incredible amount of highly personal data about you as a physical being. This VR, AR stuff and the, and the wearables and the full metaverse experience goes the next level. Yeah. If Web2 has data privacy issues that we haven't resolved, if you start getting access to things that look close to medical records, I can imagine that's going to be sort of a, a really open question for consumer rights and for regulators to grapple with. My last question for you, Richard, how do people get started in understanding the metaverse and understanding the business opportunities that, that are available to them? So I think there, there's a couple of ways to learn about this and, and experience it. Because I think one of the key elements of the metaverse, the metaverse itself is an experiential technology. And so the thing that you really are going to need to do is that you're going to need to find either through 2.5D, which is going to be kind of a thinner experience, uh, do some on-ramping and try some things out. So maybe if you've got kids and they've got a game that's a, a multi-party games, you know, go along for the ride. Go see what, what all the hoopla is about and what are all the choices these people make and evaluate it kind of like from a systems perspective. Like, hey, what are they doing? Why are people deciding to do this? And, you know, how are they, you know, evaluating these problems and communicating and those types of things? Now, the other one, which I highly recommend is for people to try out in a very safe way in their own home or in the office. And I do think that that is something that will, I can, I can tell you, I have done this with maybe a thousand people so far in, in the years that I've been doing this. Every time I strap on one of these headsets and people can experience this sort of uh, set of experiences that I have them kind of this kind of like trainer wheel things to try this, try that. Every single one of them comes away and is like, I have seven ideas for what we, how we can bring this into the business. And so I do think it's one of those things of you need to try it instead of read about it or watch videos about it. Certainly do so maybe to narrow down what you're interested in. But I do strongly recommend that for literally hundreds of dollars, the metaverse awaits, or at least the part you can get to today. Thank you so much, Richard. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to At The Edge. I'm Mina Alagband. Please go to mckinsey.com to read more of our latest publications on the metaverse. And if you like what you heard just now, please leave a rating and a review. See you soon.